those who don't cooperate with our committee are going to be the subject of criminal contempt and we will refer to the Justice Department for prosecution. So we're not fooling around. At the end of the day, it'll be a test of our, our justice system and our democracy and whether we're living up to that principle that no one's above the law. That's what I'm worried about. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Nowadays. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Amongst other fine affiliates, blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Welcome to the Bradcast, hoping to uh, make you and me moderately smarter. (laughs) That's the goal, anyway. Wish us luck. Uh, Hello, Desi Doyen. So uh, things are moving uh, very quickly today, it seems, in the U.S. House Select Committee investigating Donald Trump's January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol as part of his several attempts to steal the 2020 election. And make no mistake, it was nothing short of that. A congressional committee investigating the January 6th insurrection has now set a vote to recommend criminal contempt charges against former White House aide Steve Bannon after he defied the panel's subpoena. Congressman Benny Thompson, Democrat of Mississippi, the committee's chair, said that the panel will vote next Tuesday to recommend the charges. That would send the recommendation to the full House for a vote. Now, in fact, if they're planning this vote to recommend those charges, I don't think there's much question about the outcome of that vote, to be frank. Right now, the the panel is set up, I believe it's seven Democrats and two Republicans. In fact, I suspect it will be a unanimous vote. Those two Republicans are Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois. And frankly, one of the reasons I think this is all going to move forward is all being taken seriously is because 
Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are on that panel. I would agree with you on that. It really seems like, at least for the corporate media, it only counts if a Republican says it. Well, that's true. And it, and, and frankly, uh, it only counts for Democrats if a Republican says it. Otherwise, <laughs> they'd be, you know, bickering about this. It would become a big partisan thing. But right now you got the Republicans on this committee saying, yeah, this uh, merits criminal charges. At least I suspect that is what they will vote on Tuesday. If the, uh, the so if the uh, committee does recommend criminal charges against Steve Bannon, then it goes to the full House and then uh, the votes to recommend the uh, contempt charges against Bannon will be uh, voted on by the House. I suspect that they, too, will recommend these charges. And then the U.S. Justice Department and its attorney general, Merrick Garland. Yes, this is your moment, Merrick. At least one of the first of them, hopefully. Uh, Merrick Garland will ultimately decide whether to prosecute. Is he up to the job? Well, that's what a lot of us have been asking. And frankly, this will be his first major test of that question. The committee had demanded documents and testimony from Bannon, who was in touch with Donald Trump ahead of the violent attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Chairman Thompson said in a statement, quote, the select committee will not tolerate defiance of our subpoenas, so we must move forward with proceedings to refer Mr. Bannon for criminal contempt. Bannon, through his attorney, has said he would not cooperate after Donald Trump told Bannon that he mustn't. And uh, at least three other top uh, subpoenaed close advisors were told the same thing, that he essentially was invoking executive privilege Bannon's attorneys uh, claim that until Trump's claims of executive privilege are all adjudicated by the courts, until then, Bannon will not cooperate with the committee. Got that? Now, while Donald Trump has every right to try and test his claims of privilege at the uh, at the federal courts, uh, at least according to every other such claim in U.S. history, to my knowledge, Neither Bannon nor Trump have a leg to stand on here. That is especially true with Steve Bannon, as opposed to the three other Trump officials subpoenaed at the same time. I'll get to them in a second. Bannon Bannon had not worked for the White House since 2017 when he was fired by Donald Trump. That was, uh, what, three years at least before the January 6th attack. To claim privilege in in Bannon's case, uh, executive privilege in Bannon's case, is frankly a complete mockery of the executive privilege and has never applied, at least to my understanding, to anyone before uh, as far as, you know, someone who is not actually working for the for, for the White House. Not to mention, and hadn't been working for the White House for three years, not to mention the fact that executive privilege can only be claimed by the president of the United States. And if you haven't noticed, Donald Trump is definitely not the president of the United States. Not for lack of trying. I understand there's some controversy about that, but <laughs> I'm fairly certain uh, that I've got a, a strong legal leg to stand on to say that Donald Trump is not the president. 
President Biden, meanwhile, has already rejected Trump's request for executive privilege when it comes to White House documents that are being held at the National Archives. That's where the documents from Donald Trump's uh, uh, administration go. They go to the National Archives, at least those that have not been shredded. Just saying. Uh, But the documents supposedly surrounding what happened around the uh, January 6th attack, those are all at the National Archives. And President Biden has rejected Trump's request that Biden protect them. The bipartisan House Select Committee has scheduled a had scheduled a Thursday deposition with Bannon. But his lawyers has said that at Trump's direction, he would not appear. Mind you, former presidents of the United States actually have no legal powers whatsoever when it comes to issuing such a directive. A second witness called for uh, also for a deposition on Thursday. Former Defense Department official Cash Patel uh, also did not appear on Thursday. But Patel is reportedly still engaging with the committee whatever that means, uh, having confidential negotiations with them, whatever that means for now, and to other aides who also worked for Trump, who were also subpoenaed at the same time with Bannon and Patel. That would be former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and longtime Trump social media director Dan Scavino. They are or were scheduled for depositions on Friday. It uh, was unknown whether they would appear, although everybody pretty much thought they wouldn't. Like Patel, Meadows is said to be speaking with the committee, engaging with the committee is the way they describe it. And reporting late today from MSNBC says that the committee has agreed to a, quote, short postponement for uh, for their testimony for both Patel and Meadows and Scavino is apparently also getting a bit more time because they didn't actually serve him with his subpoena uh, for some time after the others had already received theirs. Why? Because Scavino was apparently avoiding service. He couldn't be found for a while. Yeah, he was hiding from the server. So I guess he gets rewarded for that? Apparently. Yeah. Uh, So for the moment, in any event, that has bought him a bit more time, a short pause, short postponement, according to the reporting, if MSNBC's reporting is correct here. So for the moment, the bullseye, if you will, is on Steve Bannon and Steve Bannon alone. The cheese stands alone, (laughs) as they say. Uh, His testimony, of course, is just one facet, however, of the now quickly escalating congressional inquiry with 19 subpoenas issued so far. Thousands of pages of documents are said to be flowing in to the committee. So they're getting a lot of information, whether these people are speaking up or not, whether, you know, Bannon and Meadows and so forth. But Bannon's defiance. Uh, marks a critical moment for this investigation, for this committee, whose members are vowing to restore the binding force of congressional subpoenas after they were routinely flouted during Trump's time in office. These subpoenas, uh, I know if you've only been on this planet for the last four or five years, it kind of feels like these subpoenas to Congress are optional. They're not optional. They are uh, covered by the force of law. 
I mean, I know we all watched, you know, what happened over the, the past four years, but that did not used to happen, or at least it only happened in the most rare circumstances. A congressional subpoena used to be mandatory prior to the Trump era. I saw someone uh, ask the other day on Twitter, I, th I think it was, uh, to imagine if a mobster was subpoenaed for a congressional hearing and simply refused to show up, said, oh, I don't need to show up for whatever reason they wanted to make up. What do you suppose would happen to that mobster? Of course, the committee and the House would vote to hold that mobster in criminal contempt of Congress and then refer the matter to the Department of Justice, which would theoretically round up the guy, uh, throw him in jail or, or charge him with contempt of Congress, at least until he agreed to testify. Congressional subpoenas are not optional. A member of Donald Trump's uh, criminal mob, particularly a guy who had no official role at the White House on January 6, 2021, should be treated no differently from one of those mobsters. Hopefully, the attorney general, Merrick Garland, will step up and agree once this is sent to him after it's approved by the committee and then the full House and then goes to the Department of Justice. Thompson said in his statement, quote, Mr. Bannon has declined to cooperate with the select committee and is instead hiding behind the former president's insufficient blanket and vague statements regarding privileges he has purported to invoke. We reject his position entirely. Bannon's testimony, of course, is just one facet of the escalating congressional inquiry, 19 subpoenas issued so far. Still, other witnesses reportedly are cooperating, including some who organized or staffed the Trump rally that was uh, held behind the White House on the ellipse that preceded the violent riot after Donald Trump told his supporters to fight like hell. The committee subpoenaed 11 rally organizers, gave them a Wednesday deadline to turn over documents and records. Uh, apparently, two long, uh, longtime Trump campaign and White House staffers, Megan Powers and Hannah uh, S uh, Salem, Salem, I don't know. Yeah. They were uh, listed on the January 6th rally permit as operations manager for scheduling and guidance and operations manager for logistics and communication. So, for example, they reportedly have provi provided documents to the committee. Powers, who served as the Trump reelection campaign's director of operations, intends to provide the requested documentation and to meet with the committee. So the committee, even without the cooperation of some of the subpoenaed witnesses here, has a lot of information about what happened. And they may well have a lot of documents from some of those who are refusing to answer these subpoenas, refusing to testify, refusing to turn over documents, because a lot of this uh, documentation may come over from other witnesses. So emails from Mark Meadows and so forth, even if Mark Meadows doesn't turn over his own emails. The people that he responded to or that right. corresponded with him would turn over theirs, perhaps. Correct, I which see. would then make it very dicey for him to try and lie uh, if and when he is interviewed by federal investigators, be they Congress or the FBI. 
at least in theory. A committee spokesperson declined to comment uh, on the responses that it had received uh, from all of those others that were subpoenaed and how many of the uh, those 11 rally organizers, how many of them were actually complying. Uh, also, on Wednesday, the panel issued a subpoena to Jeffrey Clark, the former Justice Department attorney who positioned himself as Trump's ally and aided the GOP president's efforts to challenge the results of the 2020 election. I believe what AP is actually trying to say there is that he aided the GOP president's efforts to steal the 2020 election. The demands for documents and testimony from Clark reflect the committee committee's efforts to probe not only the insurrection, but also the days leading up to the insurrection, as Trump had attempted to use the Department of Justice in those days to, yes, try to steal the election. According to a Senate Judiciary Committee report issued last week, you'll recall Clark is the low-level political appointee. Uh, he was acting chief of the Civil Division. He championed Trump's efforts to undo the election results. Again, AP, you mean he championed his efforts to steal the election. Clark, in fact, wrote a letter to be sent to states like Georgia, falsely claiming that the DOJ was investigating serious fraud in the state and advising the state that the that the state legislature should be called back into session in order to vote for Trump electors to replace the Biden electors that the voters of Georgia actually selected. Jeffrey Clark had already written that letter. And he was asking Jeffrey Rosen, the acting uh, attorney general who had replaced Bill Barr, who had left because, yes, he found no fraud in the election. Uh, he had uh, had this letter ready for Jeffrey Rosen to sign. But to his credit, that acting attorney general, Jeffrey Rosen, declined to do so, which led to a dramatic meeting between all of them at the White House compared to a. Uh, an apprentice boardroom meeting where Rosen and his deputies ultimately informed Donald Trump that the entire top level of the DOJ would resign en masse if Clark was named to replace the acting attorney general, as Donald Trump had been threatening. Yeah, I mean, I remember that there was an anecdote from, I believe it was that meeting where Trump said, just just come out there and say it publicly. I'll take care of the rest. Correct. Yeah, he had, he had uh, reportedly this was uh, according to uh, Jeffrey Rosen's uh, uh, deputy, uh, uh, not Kavanaugh, uh, Donahue, who's, who had taken uh, contemporaneous notes and said that Trump said, just say you're investigating and I and the Republican congressman. We'll take care of the rest. Yeah, it's a replay of Trump's Ukrainian playbook where he said to the Ukrainian president, just say it out loud. I'll take care of the just rest. Just say you're investigating. You don't actually have to investigate. I will take it from there, along with the GOP congressman. So uh, Rosen, who who was not replaced that day in what would have been the, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, just I mean, that would have been it. That yeah. would have been it. We were that close. That's how close. That's how close we were to this whole thing falling apart. And so to Jeffrey Rosen's credit uh, and uh, Donahue's, they said, no, if you do this, everyone is going to step down. Rosen, 
uh, who's not necessarily a great guy, by the way. You know, he was uh, acting attorney general under Trump, so he's not necessarily a, a, a saint here. But he does have a red line, apparently. But in this case, he did, yeah. And so after uh, Rosen himself has apparently been cooperating with the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, who wrote that report last week. And now Rosen is said to have met with the House Select Committee on Wednesday for about 11 hours. So, again, if those folks, including Clark, who has now been subpoenaed, if he fails to cooperate or if he tries to lie about what happened, it won't be that we won't know what Clark actually did. It'll just mean uh, that, well, either Clark, if he doesn't show up, won't have the opportunity to try and lie about what he did and what they did. Uh, or it means he can show up, lie and, you know, also face charges for lying to Congress. Chairman Thompson's letter to Clark on Wednesday reads, quote, the select committee's investigation has revealed credible evidence that you attempted to involve the Department of Justice in efforts to interrupt the peaceful transfer of power. Which is a very nice way of putting it. While Trump ultimately did not appoint Clark acting attorney general, Clark's, quote, efforts risked involving the Department of Justice in actions that lacked evidentiary evidence evidentiary foundation and threatened to subvert the rule of law, according to Thompson. The committee has now scheduled a deposition for Clark on October 29, mark your calendars, and has demanded documents from him by that same date. A lawyer for Clark declined to comment, but that potential showdown also awaits in the days ahead. And at this point, Clark who had been hired after leaving the Justice Department. Um, he had been hired by some wingnut welfare, dark money, legal nonprofit. He was quietly removed from his post yesterday with no announcement whatsoever. He is no longer working for that right-wing, dark money, wingnut welfare group. He's too toxic even for them at this point. <laughs> so they appear to have maybe a tiny red line themselves. Maybe, at least to keep themselves out of trouble. I mean, this guy is in trouble, what he did. Now, I don't know what, you know, legally, if he broke, you know, what laws might have been broken in his attempt to overthrow, to steal the 2020 election, to help the president do so. We need greater legal minds than me for that. But what he did is really without precedent. And whether he is going to cooperate with the committee, well, that remains to be seen. The Senate committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee, has apparently also recommended that bar associations review whether Jeffrey Clark should be disbarred. So, you know what? It might be a smart time for him to cooperate with the select committee and to come clean. Come clean, Mr. Clark. Your career appears to be all but over otherwise as is. So what do you have to lose? Biden has formally, meanwhile, rejected Trump's claims of executive privilege surrounding a tranche of documents requested by uh, from the uh, former president's time in the White House. As I noted, he has set up the documents potential release to Congress in mid-November. White House. Oh, it's going to be a delightful autumn, <laughs> a delightful autumn. White House counsel uh, Dana Remus wrote to the National Archives in a letter released on Wednesday that Biden believes that, quote, an assertion of executive privilege is not in the best interests of the United States. Oh, sorry, Mr. Bannon. 
But again, Donald Trump is welcome to challenge that decision by the president, the real president, in federal courts, which he and the Republicans spent the last four years packing. So there are likely to be many more roller coasters ahead of us on this matter. We'll let you know whether there is anything of note that you need to know about in this regard. Uh, Because I know it's all kind of, you know, there's a lot of legal back and forth. There's a lot of people talking about this. We only try to jump in when there's some big news here that I can somehow help you maybe understand. Got it? Okay. Speaking of the disgraced, former, desperate, pathetic... Got anything else, Des? Not off the top of my head. Uh, Chagrined, overweight president of the United States. No body shaming, Desi. Uh, he, He put out a couple of statements yesterday. And normally when he puts out these statements, and they're very much like tweets, Uh, even though he's been banned from Twitter. But he puts out these little short statements and then he has his apparatchik put them onto Twitter as if they are statements from the, uh, what does he call it? The uh, The 45th 45th president president of of the United United States. States. Right. Uh, So he put out a couple of statements yesterday. And normally they are so bat crap stupid and insane that I don't waste your time on those either or my time. But Donald Trump actually said some stuff on Wednesday in a couple of statements that I agree with, sort of. Uh, One statement, actually, I fully wholeheartedly, 100% am able to get behind, and I suspect that most folks within the sound of my voice may as well. You may have already heard it. Uh, On Wednesday, Donald Trump declared that Republicans will not vote in the next midterm elections or the general elections in 2024 until supposed voter or election fraud or computerized hacking fraud or whatever it is he's pretending went on in 2020 election in the 2020 election is quote solved specifically here is his two sentence statement in full so i'm not accused of spinning this trump's statement reads in full quote if we don't solve the presidential election fraud of 2020 which we have thoroughly and conclusively documented. (laughs) Republicans will not be voting in 22 or 24. It is the single most important thing for Republicans to do. I guess the single most important thing for Republicans to do is to not vote in uh, 2022 or 2024, or the single most important thing is, I guess, maybe to solve the presidential election fraud of 2020. Of course, not only has nobody thoroughly and conclusively documented this fraud, as Donald Trump claimed, so far, in fact, there is absolutely zero evidence of it in any state in the union. Any known evidence, at least evidence of fraud that could have changed changed the results of the election. In fact, I would say it's probably been exhaustively documented that there has not been any widespread fraud. Well, exhaustively documented, that seems to imply that there is nothing else to look at. And I'll disagree with that. And we'll talk about that actually in a moment. But I would I would uh, agree to the extent that I don't know that there has ever been any election that has been as closely scrutinized as the 2020 presidential election in all 50 states. So nonetheless, I am totally fine with his directive 
to his Republican uh, uh, supporters that they should absolutely not vote in the 2022 and 2024 elections to show their disgust for the fact that they haven't yet solved the presidential election fraud of 2020. That is, uh, you know, I'm 100% with him on that. <laughs> and by the way, while everyone has been having fun, of course, with that statement since yesterday, for example, here's uh, blogger D'Artagnan at Daily, Co uh, Daily Coast who wrote, quote, I don't care what political party you belong to. The truest measure of your loyalty is inevit inevitably your willingness to get with the program of your leader. In this circumstance, your leader has spoken very clearly, Republicans, until this incredibly baffling mystery about the 2020 election is solved to everyone's satisfaction. You need to get with his program and deny your respective states the privilege of your vote. Any other action is pure acquiescence and validation says D'Artagnan, as Trump has stated, this is the, quote, most important issue you need to consider. Nothing else matters. I trust you will perform your duty. <laughs> I agree, D'Artagnan. I, I hope they hear you. So, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Mitch McConnell's head is uh, spinning, if not exploding at this point uh, after that statement. But there's something else that I actually take from Trump's statement. Well, you know, everyone uh, at this point uh, pretty much assumes Donald Trump is going to run in 2024. And I sort of assumed that as well. After that statement yesterday, I'm actually not so sure. Yeah. Why would he say don't vote in 2024 if he plans on running in 2024? Yeah, I, I don't I, get it. I, well, uh, I think that, well, A, I actually I think he'll be indicted by then, but that just may be me being hopeful uh, <laughs> because the fact is, even if he is indicted, you know, while that might take up some of his running for president time, uh, it could also be a nice distraction and a way for him to claim that the whole thing is a political persecution against Republicans. Therefore, you must elect me, even though I'm indicted uh, to be president. But if he if he's really going to continue with this 2020 fraud must be solved or Republicans won't vote. Well, he absolutely knows he knows there was no 2020 fraud. And so he knows it's not going to be solved. So would he tell his own voters to not vote in 2024 if he was planning to be the candidate? I, I don't know for sure, but this seems to me to be the, begin the beginning of, of what could ultimately be his uh, justification for not running in 24. You know, why should I run? We know it's going to be rigged anyway. We never solved the last time I got robbed. <laughs> that way he doesn't have to lose twice. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, in truth, Trump loved the power of the presidency. He hated the job. And now he can enjoy the idea that he was robbed. But, hey, at least he made U.S. history forever as a president of the United States. And he won't have to do that hellish and horrible and really difficult job of actually, you know, presidenting. So just my theory, my working theory, but we will see if I turn out to be right about that. If he continues to encourage his own voters to stay home in 2022 and 2024. He can still keep making the grift, though. Yeah, well, well, he'll definitely keep doing that as long <laughs> as possible. He will. He, you know, he's making ha money hand over fist at this point. As to his pretend fraud, he actually released another statement on Wednesday that I actually, at least partially, 
really do agree with, and not just because I'm trying to be a, a smart-alecky troublemaker here. I actually agree with him in part, though you may or may not agree with him and me on this. It has to do with some news out of Georgia yesterday on one of the last remaining federal challenges to the 2020 election. That story and why I agree with both Donald Trump and the plaintiff in this case at least partially. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I swear to God, if somebody in Georgia doesn't give me some sort of an award <laughs> at the end of Before I Die for the amount of coverage, I amount of time I spend out here from Los Angeles covering the state of Georgia. Anyway, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, a uh, according to uh, Mark Neese, the Atlanta of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a judge, a federal judge, dismissed a lawsuit on Wednesday by Donald Trump supporters who sought to inspect absentee ballots from last year's presidential election, a decision that came a day after Georgia investigators from the Secretary of State's office told the court that they were unable to find any counterfeit ballots. Superior Court Judge Brian Amaro's ruling ended the last remaining major lawsuit over Georgia's 2020 election and prevented an outside review of Fulton County's 147,000 original absentee ballots. Fulton County includes the, uh, the bulk of Atlanta. The judge's order is the latest in a series of decisions against supporters of the former Republican president who have asked the courts to help them pursue suspicions of fraud or reverse the results of the election. State election officials have said there is no indication of fraud. That would be uh, state election officials from the Republican secretary of state, uh, Brad Raffensperger, to Democratic uh, county election officials. They say there's no indication of fraud. That after three different types of ballot counts and multiple investigations in the Peach State. In last year's presidential election, Democrat Joe Biden was certified as having defeated Donald Trump in Georgia by about 12,000 votes. Judge Amaro's decision was, however, not based on the actual evidence, but on the legal principle of standing. The plaintiffs under uh, un under the federal law here had not suffered a specific injury that would give them the right to sue, oh. even though the judge supposedly did review the evidence before making his ruling anyway, but the ruling was not based on that evidence. State election investigators could not find any fraudulent or counterfeit ballots within ballot batches that were cited by some Republican vote counters who had participated in a statewide post-election hand count audit. You remember that? Back in November, they recounted the entire state, essentially. 
That, uh, according to a, a court filing, Uh, Tuesday on behalf of Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, stating that, hey, we looked at the ballots. We did it for you. No need for you to do it. We looked at it. We found none of those counterfeit ballots that you folks had uh, claimed were there. Of course, you know, this is testimony from Raffensperger and his own investigators into a claim that he or his office essentially did something wrong by allowing these supposedly counterfeit ballots. So they self-certified that there was nothing wrong with this. Correct. Raffensperger's investigators told the court there was no indication of supposedly, quote, pristine ballots that were filled with perfectly filled in ovals. This is what was alleged in the lawsuit, uh, claiming that these ballots appeared to be to have been filled in by a computer. According to these Republican counters who, by the way, failed to note their concerns about those ballots when the counting actually occurred. And their story has since changed quite a bit in the months that followed as they appeared on different right wing media outlets to talk about what happened and what they saw. So their story is not consistent. That's correct. Raffensperger, uh, the Republican Secretary of State, said Wednesday, quote, while no election is perfect, there was no widespread fraud or legal voting large enough to overturn the election. The results were, as we reported, that President Trump came up short in the state of Georgia. Fulton Commissioner uh, uh, Commission Chairman, Election Commission Chairman uh, Rob Pitts, a Democrat, called the dismissal of the lawsuit, quote, a win for democracy. He said this lawsuit was the result of the big lie, which is nothing more than a meritless conspiracy theory being spread by people who simply cannot accept that their side lost. Pitt said its defeat here today should echo throughout the nation. Well, it will echo, Mr. Pitts, but maybe not in the way that Mr. Pitts hopes. The lead plaintiff in this case, Garland Favorito, He's the uh, longtime election integrity uh, uh, champion, the founder of the group called Voter GA. Now, we've had Garland on the show a number of times over the years. He said in an in-depth inspection of he said that an in-depth inspection of absentee ballots was necessary in order to search for the counterfeit ballots that state investigators could not find or said they did not find. And yes, he plans to appeal the judge's dismissal. He said, quote, and and by the way, I don't disagree with him here, mind you. He said, quote, all citizens of Georgia have a right to know whether or not counterfeit ballots were injected into the Fulton County election results. He said it is not adequate for any organization to secretly tell us there are no counterfeit ballots and refuse to let the public inspect them. And yes, I agree with Garland Favorito there. You know, I have uh, zero confidence, actually, that Garland is right about these uh, about these claims. And there are, yes, a lot of conspiracy theories mixed in here. And yes, all of this seems to be funded by a bunch of right wingers who know nothing about elections. Garland does know stuff about elections, by the way. I've spoken with him. Uh, I said, as I mentioned uh, on the show over the years, uh, we've uh, spoken via email at at various times uh, since last year's elections. And I like Garland. As I said, he's a longtime election integrity guy. He is not one of these Johnny come latelys who have decided suddenly to be, you know, furious about election integrity only after their guy lost and lied to them about it. 
In fact, uh, Favorito himself is not even a Republican. He's a Constitution Party guy, as I recall, and I, I don't know that he's even a fan of Donald Trump's. So, I, you know, I should say I've considered having him back on the show to talk about these various claims in recent months. But I'll, I will be honest with you. As I said, I like Garland, but I think that now he has sort of been pulled into this right wing wingnut circus. I think he's sort of enjoying the, his celebrity there. I think he's bringing in more money to uh, voter GA than ever, almost certainly than ever before. And to be frank, I'm just not comfortable with many of the claims that I have seen him make since November. Usually, uh, you know, at least in the past, I've, I would have had him on the show to air those, uh, you know, uh, those claims out. But now I kind of feel, to be honest, that he's, he's kind of being put up to all of this to a certain extent. And, and, you know, while I'm going to agree with his statement that the public should absolutely be able to examine these ballots for themselves without having to rely on what the Secretary of State says about them, I feel like I would be privileging the lie by allowing him to come on uh, on the show, offer a whole bunch of other claims uh, that, you know, can't be proven right now one way or another. I think it would just be sort of muddying the water with a lot of potential nonsense. But yes, I agree. The public should absolutely be allowed to inspect the ballots in question here, as long as everyone in the public is able to do so essentially at the same time, not like that clown show in Maricopa County, Arizona. So everyone, including election officials, must be a part of this in order to assure that the secure chain of custody for the ballots is not violated when they are viewed by the public, etc., the judges claim that Favorito has no standing uh, because he has no specific individualized injury simply because this injury, the supposed injury, applies to everyone, you know, because the election was stolen from everyone. And, well, that's just bad, bad law, in bad my judging. opinion. Bad judging, yeah. Uh, from what I understand, at least, about how this is supposed to work. And it, it may, in fact, this decision... This idea, really, this legal theory that came from an appellate court recently in response to another case in Georgia uh, in regards to 2020, that uh, ruling, that idea that, you know, he doesn't have a specific individualized injury. It's maybe he may be injured, but everybody is injured the same. That may So in it fact, doesn't count? Yeah, yeah that doesn't that's make kinda, sense. Yeah, I know. But that's what the appellate court came up with. And now the uh, lower court here, the lower uh, district court judge is is using this same uh, the same idea to dismiss the case. And frankly, it may, in fact, harm legitimate plaintiffs in other suits, for example, like Marilyn Marks and the Coalition for Good Governance and her longstanding federal lawsuit trying to ban Georgia's. Uh, computerized ballot marking device voting systems, those brand new systems made by Dominion that are being forced on voters across the state at every polling place that should never be used in an election. Well, she can claim, I'm sorry, the, the judge can claim in, in her case, and it is a, a she, Judge Totenberg can now claim that, well, this affects everyone, so this affects no one, <laughs> at least according 
to this uh, new appellate legal theory. It's a convenient way to get a case out of your hair if you're a judge, yeah. but it doesn't actually address the legal issues at hand. Correct. So I I agree on, on that on that point uh, with Garland that this should not have been dismissed and uh, apparently and that the ballots should be allowed to be viewed. And apparently so does Donald Trump, according to the other statement that he released on Wednesday that I also agree with. Trump criticized the the ruling, quote, here we go again. This is Trump. After a very long wait, a judge in Georgia refuses to let us look at the ballots, which I have little doubt are terrible. This whole situation is a disgrace to our country. Why can't the public see the ballots? Good question. Yes, uh, you heard me say it, Donald Trump. Good question. Our country is going to hell and we are not allowed transparency even in our elections. The people of Georgia deserve to know the truth. So unfair to them and our country. The fight continues. We will never give up. Our elections are so corrupt and nobody wants to do anything about it. Well, I, 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 I don't have a position on how corrupt our elections are or are not. But on the other stuff, I take no joy in saying it, but he is absolutely right. Why can't the public see the ballots? These are our ballots. These are public ballots. If there are questions about these ballots, we should be able to see them. And when he says nobody wants to do anything about it, well, I want to do something about it. I have wanted to do something about it. And these very concerns for almost 20 years now, long before Donald Trump decided to pretend to give a damn about any of this. Remember, he opposed the attempts to recount votes in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania after the 2016 election, as Green Party candidate Jill Stein had attempted to do at the time. Republicans were entirely against it. The same Republicans who are now saying, oh, we must audit every state in the union. Well, they weren't in favor of that when their guy won, were they? Nonetheless... Yeah, Donald Trump is right for the wrong reasons, but he is right that the public should be able to see the ballots and that this stuff doesn't go away by simply hiding the evidence of public ballots that the public has the right to see. And if you check the reaction to the judge's decision on Wednesday to dismiss this case, I promise you this is not going away. This did not solve the problem. When uh, someone said this is a great day for democracy, I disagree. This is not a great day for democracy. For Democrats uh, who might you know, oppose the idea that the public has the right to see these ballots, well, that is also dumb. This stuff will not end by hiding public documents. It ends by showing the documents to the public. If, in fact, there are counterfeit ballots, as claimed by those Republican vote counters in the post-election audit, well, we will all see them. If they are not there, as the Secretary of State claims, who is also a Republican, then we should be able to see that as well. Only that, only public oversight of our public elections will end this nightmare. Maybe. But yes, uh, this is what I have been warning about for so many years. This is why I fight for transparency in elections, because even if there is nothing to hide, when you hide stuff, it gives uh, cause to even the most despicable liar in the history of the nation, for example, Donald Trump, to come out and claim that the election was stolen. So, yeah. 
This is why I've been fighting for public oversight of public elections for so long, not to advantage any one party over another, but to protect democracy, which, if you haven't noticed, is having a pretty rough time of it right now. Transparency via oversight by the public, that is the solution. Hiding the evidence never works. It only makes things worse. That said, as the AJC uh, reports, while original paper ballots remain confidential, government records, and by the way, they shouldn't, they shouldn't remain confidential, uh, digital images, they report, of the absentee ballots have been made public. Those digital images, those are the essentially the photographs that are taken when the ballots are scanned by the optical scanner. The ballot images, the digital images, do not contain the kind of perfectly filled in ovals and the lack of folding marks that the plaintiffs had alleged in these absentee ballots. But that still allows those who want to believe otherwise to do so, because these aren't the actual ballots. They're photographs of the ballots. They uh, photographs taken by the Dominion voting systems that may or may not have been you know, it provides another yeah. opening for 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 pushing a, that there's a problem with it. Amaro's uh, dismissal order relied on a ruling by the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in December that rejected an effort by attorney L. Lynn Wood to overturn the presidential election in Georgia. The appellate court, I believe, hastily found Wood lacked standing to sue. And while I know a bunch of Democrats were really happy about that and about perhaps Wednesday's ruling, they may not be quite as happy when that poorly considered uh, reasoning by the 11th Circuit uh, Court of Appeals for dismissal on standing. They might not be happy about that because the plaintiff was, you know, claiming that it was not specifically individualized, harmed in an individualized way. In other words, if anyone was harmed, everyone was harmed. So no one has the right to sue. That is not good uh, legal reasoning, <laughs> at least as I understand it. And I think Democrats may come to agree sooner rather than later when they are on the other side of such a ruling. To that end, I wish Garland luck in his plans to appeal, and if you would like to disagree with me, by the way, or even if you agree with me, but that's not nearly as fun, you can drop me email. I am Bradcast at bradblog.com, and perhaps I can share it on an upcoming program. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you, who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. I did have a few things to say today, didn't I? <laughs> Just a few. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that, because no we're once again running late, but we always get it in. We always get it in. Including today, our latest Green News Report. So it's not just predictions of $100 oil, it's huge increases in natural gas prices. Even coal costs are skyrocketing. Supply chain disruptions spike global energy prices. And you're talking 
about Russia being accused of using energy as weapons. Putin says Russia would never artificially limit Europe's natural gas supply. Plus, Biden administration goes big on offshore wind. All of that hot air and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Hundreds of world leaders are meeting with climate activists to attempt the one thing to fight climate change that no industrialized nation has done before. Anything. (laughs) Yeah, I know. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the supply chain is failing everywhere, and now I guess nowhere more than when it comes to energy. Go figure! Yep, you may have heard there's a global energy supply crunch that's caused by pandemic-related disruptions to the global supply chain. The European Union is seeing sharp spikes in energy prices driven by a surge in demand and lower-than-expected deliveries of gas from Russia. CNBC notes that years ago, when Russia offered to increase natural Natural gas shipments to the EU with new pipelines, experts and the U.S. government warned that Europe would be at Russia's mercy when it comes to energy. Mm. At a CNBC event in Moscow this week, Russian President Vladimir Putin subtly blamed the U.S. for the supply (laughs) shortage and said Russia is ready to help Europe by increasing deliveries soon as winter weather sets in. He dismissed allegations that Russia is artificially limiting Europe's gas supply. And this is what I call a politically motivated blather. It has nothing to support it when it comes to saying that we use energy as a kind of weapon. OPEC has also refused to increase production, which is causing oil prices to spike, ensuring higher profits for oil and gas producers. A senior EU official told reporters this week, quote, This experience today of rising energy prices is a clear wake-up call that we should accelerate the transition to clean energy and wean ourselves off the fossil fuel dependency. Sounds good to me. China is also scrambling to deal with a global spike in coal prices that has hit the country especially hard because of its heavy reliance on coal. China's central government has ordered coal mines to increase production, Mm. but that has been hampered by severe flooding that hit its major coal-producing regions and inundated coal plants. This in turn affected electricity reliability in the country's energy-hungry manufacturing regions. How ironic. Additionally, ironically, China's shortage of cheap coal is actually increasing the price of solar panels shipped to America. ClimateWire reports that energy analysts believe these supply crunches could help accelerate China's deployment of renewable energy and battery storage because it has greater reliability. Good. In the U.S., previously cheap natural gas prices are also skyrocketing. Wow. Partly due to the slow return of drilling amid the pandemic and partly because producers now ship record amounts of U.S. produced fracked gas to overseas customers, which analysts predicted would happen with the expansion of pipelines and export facilities. Wow, all of this terrible news is very good news. The Atlantic reports that these supply disruptions have exposed major weaknesses in global supply chains
remains reliant on just-in-time delivery and underscore that natural gas is a finite commodity that has always been subject to price volatility and in a crisis, its supply is as variable as renewables. But unlike fossil fuels, with wind, solar, and battery storage, the fuel is free forever. Free the fuel. Meanwhile, the World Health Organization, in a new special report, called for world governments to, quote, act with urgency on climate change as a matter of public health, describing man-made global warming as, quote, the biggest single health threat facing humanity. But some good news. California will ban the sale of new gas-powered lawn and leaf blowers beginning in 2024 after state regulators found the appliances are relatively large sources of toxic air pollution and carbon emissions. Now there is some really good news, at least for those of us who live in Los Angeles and know how terrible those things are. And bonus, the ban will also reduce noise pollution. Thank you. Finally, the Biden administration is going big on offshore wind. Interior Secretary Deb Holland announced this week that the department will develop large-scale wind farms along nearly the entire coastline of the United States with a goal of leasing federal waters to wind power developers beginning in 2025. It is the first long-term strategy from the federal government to develop a domestic offshore wind energy industry. Unleash the mighty wind. For much more on all of these stories, and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Everyone knows it's windy. <laughs> well done, Desi Doyen. <laughs> so we've had legal wonkery... Supply chain wonkery. We got your wonkery right here, baby. We do. Is there no wonkery to which the broadcast will not stoop? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, thank you very much, Desi Doy, and our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope we uh, made it worth your while. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. This program and everything related to it is made possible by listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Please don't wait another second to do so. Uh, you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. I will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. And the windy hat stormy eyes, the flash at the sound of light. And the windy hat wings to fly above the cloud, above the cloud, above the cloud. Who's driven down the streets of the city?